West Bowles, good morning. Um, teenagers, that's called standard definition. That's how we all watched TV before 10 years ago. Uh, no snakes this morning, all right? Sissies, all right. Um, <laughs> uh, if that did not make sense, or if you're new here for the first time today, um, I invite you. Um, actually, I dare you to go back and watch last week's sermon on our website. Um, I got smacked for the first minute of a video that we showed. Anyway, thank you for being here this morning. And I'm not, we're not going to show you videos of snakes, um, but I do need to talk to you about another animal. If you've been in here or if you've been around here any amount of time, you know the tension between myself and um, bunnies. I don't mean like pet bunnies. I mean like rodent bunnies. Because as, as a previous lawn guy, I, I know the greatest enemy to a lawn is not gasoline. Um, it's not mowing it too short. It is the bunny rabbit because they will chew and chew and chew. And when they do their thing on the grass, it just kills it. It absolutely kills it. And so last summer, uh, I woke up um, early in the morning and uh, I just... Being in the lawn business for years, I, I tuned in to the sense of a bunny rabbit, okay? And so I remember this summer morning, I woke up, it was about 4.45 in the morning, and it was like uh, Terminator mode when I sat up. It was, it was like, I sense them, they're here. Uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, Legolas, when he puts his ear to the ground and he's like, they're within a day's journey. That's how this was. So I woke up and I was like, I better go down and check. And I went down and I, <clears throat> I opened our front door and there's, sure enough, there's a bunny chewing on our lawn. And so I went back inside and I grabbed some BBs to go out and throw really hard at it. Anyway, and um, right as I was about to throw BBs at, at this bunny rabbit, uh, I see this cat across the street. And, you know, cats, when they get into pounce position, it was just kind of, I could see it looking at the rabbit. And I thought, well, maybe I don't need to use my BBs. And so it's looking, and no joke, true story, coming down the sidewalk is a fox. It's like, this is awesome. Okay, so <laughs> suddenly I go from looking at the rabbit to the cat to the fox. The fox sees the bunny and then looks over at the cat, and the cat suddenly is looking at the fox. So it's just like this, who's making the first move? I mean, I got BBs I can throw. Anyway, so... The cat starts, I mean, the fox froze, and the cat just starts backing up. And it's backing up, and it's backing up. And inside, who am I rooting for the fox to go after? The bunny. Yes. I mean, I used to not like cats. Then we got a cat, and I fell in love with the cat. And so I was like, you know what? The cat's fine. It's not going to mess with the lawn. The bunny's got to go. So inside, on my front porch, I'm going, get the bunny, get the bunny, get the bunny, get the bunny. And the fox is doing this, and it's doing this, and the cat is backing away, and it's backing away, and I'm thinking, something's got to happen here quick. Well, the fox faked toward the bunny, ran after the cat. The cat got over the fence of our neighbors across the street, and the fox stopped. Well, who got away in the middle of that? <laughs> so this fox, like, turns around, and it's bewildered. It has no meal now. And no joke, I lectured the fox. <laughs> I was like, you are pathetic. You're the most pathetic fox I've ever met in my life. One job, get the bunny. Just get the bunny. And it actually looked at me, and I was like, we have a connection now. So now we have an understanding. He ran off, and I just went, man. 
Not so much that the fox couldn't decide, but I started paying attention to what was going on inside me. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. It's peace. Peace. Because I am amazed as I look at the mirror, I look into the mirror at my own life, and as I look out the window at other people's lives, I am amazed at how affected we can be by other people and foxes, obviously. But I'm amazed at how we can be so affected by other people, specifically the choices they make and the directions and the paths that they take. I mean, just those two things alone, haven't those been enough to maybe sever or filter some relationships for you? Because maybe you spoke up, maybe you felt like you needed to say something, maybe you defended yourself, maybe you just, you just decided to step into that conversation and maybe based on their reaction, that relationship is in a tough spot. Maybe it's non-existent now. And it's ironic. It's really ironic because the closer you draw to Jesus, he will first draw you to himself and then he will shape your heart and draw your heart to other people as well. He will draw you into relationship. You look through scripture and it's the story of God drawing people to himself and then sending them to other people. And so there's this tension that we have to figure out and we have to deal with because we have a God who invites us to follow him, hear him, obey him, surrender to him, and then he puts us with people. And yet it's with people that we get distracted. And this thing, this, this relationship setup that he puts us into, it actually has the potential to draw us off in directions that God never, ever intended. So it's like, God, what are you doing? You want us to follow you, and then you put distractions right in front of us called people every single day. I mean, I'm sure a face is coming to mind right now. Don't say their name and don't point at them right now, but I'm sure you've got a face in mind or multiple faces in mind. I mean, think about it. We just, just the songs we sang this morning, build my life. We say, God, build my life. You be the architect. You be the builder of my life. And then we get home and we get on social media or we interact with some people and we go, oh, I wonder what they're doing. And I wonder what they're doing. And other people become the builders or maybe those who tear down our lives. We sing, come thou fount of every blessing. Meaning, God, you are the source of every single blessing I have. And we sing that here, but then we get home and we look around at what he's blessed us with. And we, we, there's a sense of it not enough inside. So you can have all the wisdom, all the clarity, all the gifting, all the talent, maybe smoother sailing through life than anybody we know. And we can still take this journey to there from here, this journey through life, without peace. Without peace. And if, if you do not, and if I do not allow God to deal with our source of peace inside of us. That is a very difficult journey. And it's one that we take by sight much more than we take by faith. And we end up reacting to everything that comes along. And so this morning, I actually want to pick up right where we left off last week because this morning we step into that very tension in the life of the man we began talking about last week, Abram. Abram was this man that had been called out of the comfortable and the familiar by God to what God had for him, and Abram went. And he went, and it was going great until he looked around and he saw a famine. And, 
And it was because of that famine that he went to Egypt, thinking maybe things will look better there. And it was only after a period of time in Egypt he realized he had settled. He'd settled for less than what God had for him. And so he ends up back in the promised land, facing the very tension that you and I face. Take a look at this. This is chapter 13 of Genesis, verse 5. Now Lot, this is Abram's nephew. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. Because while in Egypt, Abram had also gathered flocks and herds and tents. But Lot, his nephew, also got them. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And this is the tension you and I face, because when we sit here with other people and we look around, a lot of times it feels like the land cannot provide and line up with what God seems to be doing. It seems like something's got to give. There's some tension here. And I have no doubt that somewhere inside Abram, he's thinking, "What God, I came back to the promised land, but there's some tension. And I've got to figure out how to make this work between me and somebody else. Verse 7, and quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. See, I think a lot of times we think when we respond, when we get back on track with God. Remember, that was that takeaway last week? That, that Abram found his way back to God by going back and finding the breadcrumbs that God had provided all along, rather than chasing after what was in front of him. And we would expect smooth sailing, and we would, affect, we would expect everything to be fine. And yet he looks around, and there are still other people living in the land. And there's quarreling between Lot's shepherds and his. Well, it continues in verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. And at this point, you think Abram gets to play the uncle card, right? He's got the authority. He's older. His call, he had received this call from God. And so you're fully expecting Abram to say, I choose first. I'm going to look at the land, and I get to choose where I'm going to go. And then you get what's left, Lot. Well, that's not what happened. Is not, verse 9, is not the whole land before you? He's saying this to Lot. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. And if you and I were standing there, we'd go, Abram, what are you doing? You have every right to be the one who makes this decision. This is your choice, Abram. And as you look across the land, you know which one would be better, as we'll see in a minute. You know which one would be better. And instead, he defers to Lot. And there's this reminder here that we have to know as we navigate life with other people, that you can prefer how other people choose and you can hope that they choose and take their life a certain direction, but ultimately, we don't get to control that. We do not get to control it. <clears throat> and Abram, Abram, having seen this choice, seen this choice for a lot, there is something about Abram that we're going to see this morning 
that was able to just rest. And he was able to go, you know what? It doesn't matter what Lot chooses. It doesn't matter if I get the raw end of this deal. You have those people in your life? Remember that face that came up earlier that drives you crazy? That face that you just want to get the bunny through life? You so want them to go for the bunny, just go for the bunny. Because it'll benefit me, it'll benefit all of us. A world without bunnies. Anyway, um, instead, he says, your choice, Lot. And as we walk through this passage this morning, you see two things that God gave Abram, that Abram remembered. And there are two things that he's given each and every single one of us. Take a look. Verse 10. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And then there's just a little preview here. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. See, we know that after the fact. So we're like, ooh, don't go that way. But Lot, he just sees smooth sailing, lush land. It's well watered. So Lot, in verse 11, so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, this tells us so much. Because do you remember the state of Canaan when Abram first left it and then came back? It was famine. The ground was dry. It was cracking. His livestock couldn't live very well there. Perhaps his help abandoned him. And that's where Abram's at. Lot, on the other hand, he's got everything he needs. Have you ever come down with a case of the coulda, shoulda, wouldas? Those are those statements where I go, well, I, oh, you go back to that decision point in life. I coulda, I coulda gone that way. And I should've gone that way. And if I could do it all over again, I would've gone that way. See, we beat ourselves up over this, and I don't know, it doesn't tell us, I don't know what was going on inside Abram, but I could relate to what might have been. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. But as you watch Abram, there's something that Abram at some point must have come to, and it was simply this, that this picture, this picture right in front of him, is not the whole picture. This picture is not the whole picture. Is that something you need to remind yourself from time to time? This picture is not the whole picture. But see, a lot of times what we do, how many of you have heard of Monday morning quarterbacks? Oh yeah, I mean, everybody's an expert Monday morning, right? Some of my least favorite sports analysts are the Monday morning ones. Because they're like, well, if I was there, if I was wearing the pads, here's what I would have done. It's like you've never played in your life, ever, <laughs> other than Madden on a video game. But once in a while, you get these sports commentators who actually played the game. And it's always their perspective that I love to hear the most. Because they understand it is useless to live in coulda, woulda, shoulda. It's useless. And so Abram knows this picture is not the whole picture. And in one verse, time passes, and we discover just how true that is. Listen to the next verse. Now, verse 13, now, the people of Sodom, this is where Lot is living nearby. The people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly 
against the Lord. And this is where we get a glimpse of Abram's mindset. Because if you're Abram, think about it, when you had the choice, you could have chosen what was well-watered, but remember last week? Abram tried this once. Remember when the land around him, famine showed up, and the ground dried out, and it began to crack? And Abram looked at Egypt, and he said, well, that looks well-watered. And that looks good right now. I'm going to go for that. And Abram went for that. And after some time passed, Abram realized that he had settled. He'd settled for less. That's not the only thing that's happening here, though. In the midst of being around people who had been sinning greatly against the Lord for Lot, here's what's happening for Abram, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring. What's that word? Forever. Forever. In other words, this picture is not the whole picture. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Now, Lot is sitting in real lush circumstances right now. And Abram is sitting in a land that's been ravaged by famine. In a land that still has obstacles. Because as we read a little bit ago, the Canaanites and the Perizzites are still there. And Abram looks around and he sees famine, and he sees obstacles, and where's the Lord? With him. With him. See, doesn't that kind of shift our perspective a little bit? Because we look, as we walk through life, we go, oh, I want to choose what looks best, and I want to go with what looks best, because we think this picture is the whole picture. But Abram would say, no, 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 I've learned. I've learned that if you're walking through famine, God can show up. And if you see obstacles, God can show up. And God can speak. Abram had learned that walking through a famine in God's will is far better than being in a palace outside God's will. And that's a reminder I know I have needed. And that's a reminder I would suspect as I've gotten to just talk and listen and share with many in here that we all need to have. Abram realized God was giving him something that he's given to you and I. And so he does next what he did last week. Verse 18, so Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron. There he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Abram remembered he'd been given a promise. Abram remembered the promise of God. And Abram remembered that God's promise is bigger, is greater than this picture. God's promise is bigger than this picture. But here's what I think we do. We go outside, not today, but we go outside usually and you see the cloud and you see how dark it is and you see how stormy it looks and we forget that it's just a passing cloud. Doesn't mean it's not intense, doesn't mean it can't affect us on the ground. But we forget that what do clouds do? They move. And it's going to pass. 
because of this picture. It's not the whole picture. We see choppy water, and we go, oh, no, what's happening? And we forget there's an undercurrent, that nothing on that body of water happens without that undercurrent moving it wherever it goes. And so we look at the choices of ourselves and those in our lives, and we so badly want to control and seize control, and Abram says, no, no, it's far better to surrender because God promised. When I look, when I look at the people in front of me and maybe the picture that's being affected by the people in front of me, Abram says, I come back now. I remember what God did. It's his promise that he gave me. That's the first thing God has given us that we've got to come back to. But then the second thing becomes very clear as you read through this chapter and as you get into Genesis chapter 14. The land where Lot had been residing, well, kings around there began to form alliances. And they began to battle with one another and they began to go to war with one another. And Abram, from afar, eventually becomes aware of how this all affected Lot, who chose what he thought looked so good. Genesis chapter 14, verse 12. They also, these are these kings who formed these, these alliances, they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, since he was living in Sodom. This was now about to become a war-ravaged land. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive. And I got to stop here for a second because I started looking in this chapter for that part where Abram comes face to face with Lot and he says, idiot, I told you. And now you're getting what you deserved. Isn't that where we go very easily? It's so easy to look at whether it's our own lives or the lives of those in front of us and go, what are you doing? And it's one thing if that comes from a loving, truthful place, but a lot of times that's not where it comes from. A lot of times it's because we want to control their choices. And when they didn't go the way we said they should go, you know what we do? I told you. I told you, but Abram, Abram did something different. Abram's not affected by the picture in front of him, maybe because Abram was reminded that he had to be rescued. Remember, he's in Egypt, and he's receiving all kinds of blessing from Egypt. And when he finally looked around, we talked about this last week, when you look at God's original promise, there were seven parts to it, and Abram looked around at his life, and, and he had one. Somewhere inside, he realized, I settled. I settled for a fraction, one-seventh of what God had for me. And so God, in his way, rescued Abram. And I can't help thinking that that informed what Abram did next. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, this army would have been so tiny compared to the makeup of all the different uh, armies of these kings in the area. 318 men plus Abram. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. 
Do you notice what he employed there? Everything at his disposal. He went a great distance. If you could pull this up on a map, and I meant to have it this morning, I don't. But the distance from where he was to where he had to go, miles upon miles upon miles. And I have no doubt that that face that popped into your mind earlier, you probably can think of miles and miles and miles that you've gone in pursuit. But the other detail that just so caught me as I read this was it said he recovered all. He recovered all of it. In short, Abram was reminded he'd been given a promise and he'd been given rescue. And it shaped his heart for others. See, living by faith, the journey to there from here as we walk through this life, living by faith really remembers these two things. That God has given a promise that's far greater than the picture in front of us, but that God has also given us rescue. And if we were to learn anything from looking at God or Abram's relationship with God, it's that God in Abram and in us is wanting to cultivate a heart of rescue, not retribution. Not, I told you. Not, oh, you're getting what you deserved. Rescue, not retribution. I was reminded of this earlier this year. My wife and I went out of town, and we're at the airport. It's like early, early in the morning, but we were well, we were, we were well ahead of when we needed to be there. So we're in this baggage line, and sitting in line, and suddenly, you know those, um, you know the barriers they create where they stretch that, that strap? I have no good words for this right now. You, you stretch that strap across. This guy comes through, and he just starts like undoing those. So instead of like having nice lanes, suddenly he's like, make way, make way. And all like this sea of people is just coming right through all of us. And I went, what is this? Like we got here on time. We're here in plenty of time. We're in line ahead of all the people that are coming through right now. Found out these people's flight was about to leave and they had gotten there late. So inside I'm like, idiots, come on. Like you're getting what you deserve right now. I, I, if I had been there when you got up this morning, I would have said, I told you. I told you. You're going to be late. And this, this airport security guy is just leading them through all of us. This lady, Samsonite, rolled over my foot, and I was about to say something, and then here's what made it worse. She had an Ohio State shirt on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, all right? She had an Ohio State shirt on, and I was like, ah, oh, that's, that's awful. I was speechless, like, and spitting mad, just spitting mad. And all these people just go through. So I'm thinking, okay, it's fine. I'm not going to let it ruin our trip. So about an hour and a half later, we're on our plane, and the flight attendant is like, well, we're having some problems with the plane, and so we're going to be sitting here probably about half hour, 45 minutes. And I was like, probably because of those people that came through earlier. <laughs> we get out on the runway, and she said, well, we're going to request some clearance to get ahead in line. And where did I go all of a sudden? Let us through, let us through, let us through. Can you see the irony there? We so often want everybody else to get what they deserve, but when we're in the position, when we think back to when we were in the position, we don't want retribution, we want rescue. We want rescue. So how does this look? How does this look? Knowing that God has given us a promise and God has given us rescue, how does this look? when you step into this week. This is why I love 
what happens next. Because after this battle is over, after Abram rescues Lot, these two kings show up to talk to Abram. And here, here's what happens. This is Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. This, this king that we're about to find out is a priest of God, brings to Abram bread and wine. What is that thing we do every single month with bread and, well, grape juice, but wine? Communion. And what is communion about? When Jesus gave it to the disciples, you know what he said? Remember. Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me, of the promise that was fulfilled and the rescue that you received. So Melchizedek comes out offering bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. You know what that statement is? That's a statement of Abram, God made you a promise, and he kept it. And delivering your enemies in your hand, God rescued you. Even from your own choices, Abram. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Another king standing there from Sodom, where Lot had gone to live. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, so Sodom's basically offering a compromise right now. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Abram says, in other words, I will never accept this compromise. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. To Anur, Eshkol, and Mamre. If you're looking for baby names, right there, folks. Let them have their share. As I look at that, I can't help what this question popped into mind. When I think about the promise of God, that he fulfilled for us at the cross when he said, okay, I'm going to give you an offer that if you will respond to it, if you will step into it, I will give you the promise of not just eternal life one day, but my peace this day. As I thought about that promise fulfilled at the cross, as I thought about that rescue, this question came to mind. And I thought, wow, that question should inform every single interaction with every single person that I come across. Before I even step into this week and on the heels of this week, when I see both maybe the before and the after and maybe even the aftermath of what the people in my life are doing that affects me so much, it's this simple question. Can anybody give me more than God already gave me? Can anybody give me more than God already gave me? Because too often, we look at the people in front of us and we're really coming to them with expectations when God says, no, I want relationship. I want you to take your relationship with me, 
and I want it to go out to the people I put in front of you. And when you settle in your heart and when you allow God to deal in your heart and then when I allow him to deal in my heart, that there is nothing the person in front of you can give you. There is no amount of retribution they can receive. There is no choice they can make that can overcome, overpower, overwhelm what I gave you at the cross and the resurrection and with his Holy Spirit. Then you start living with a sense of peace. In fact, it's even better than that. This chapter ends in the beginning of verse 15. One verse says it best. Genesis chapter 15 says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Not the lush land, not Lot getting what he deserves. I am your shield, your very great reward. See, when you live by faith, when you live by faith, the Lord is your reward. That's what you discover when you walk through life, when you take the journey to there from here in faith. You discover your reward is the Lord. Now, here's the thing that gets me about this whole thing. This whole passage happens in the context of God making good on his promise to Abram. And it's not going to happen even in Abram's lifetime. But when you look at age 75 to 100 years later when Abram died, 100 years goes by and you can count eight conversations between Abram and the Lord. Eight. That's it. Eight conversations that every single time they happen, Abram went, I got to remember that. I got to remember that. Now come to us today. I mean, many of us, we wake up each morning, we go, God, if you would just open the clouds, show me how to deal with this relational tension I'm dealing with, with the person in front of me, with the face in my mind, then we'd be good. And I sit there, and this week I went, (laughs) it's right here. The word of God, right here. And so often, you know where it sits? On my shelf. I go, Lord, show me or show them. Give them what they deserve. Show me how to navigate through this. He goes, right here. It's right here because when you open this, you know what you get a reminder of? What he gave us. His promise, his rescue, himself. On a cross to make us good with him. That's what happens when we live by faith, not by sight. And so I leave you with a question that we all ought to ask ourselves all week long and hopefully in the weeks, months, days, or years ahead. Can anybody give me more than God already gave me? As the worship team comes up, it's a question worth thinking about. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you weekly, Lord, and there is so much that you illuminate from being in relationship with you first and then with others. But so often, it's easy for those relationships to become distractions, to send us in directions we never anticipated going and that you never intended us to go. And so we thank you for your reminders because those reminders were not just altars in the life of Abram. They're reminders of your presence all the way through 
our lives. And so remind us of the great promise you offer us at the cross. I pray for anybody in here who they've heard this and they've heard this and they've heard this or maybe they've heard it for the first time, that that stirring in the heart, you'd remind them it's you. Lord, set a conversation in front of them. Help them seek out someone to talk to further about it. Even if that's us here this morning in the foyer after service. We're reminded of your promise, but we're reminded of your rescue as well. And when we realize we have those two things, there is nothing anybody in this life can give us that's more than you already gave us. So write that question on our hearts today and every single day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.